Here it is. Again. One, two, three, four! I believe that the music I heard is a killer. It's a killer of hope. It's a killer of spirit. Little girls should be seen and not heard. And Devo plays for Muffy's party. We bring you an act who at first may shock you. The Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. Let's go! Hey everybody, I'm Rob. And I am Joseph. Welcome to a special crossover edition of Deep Dives and Deep Cuts, a history of punk, post-punk, and new wave, 1976 to 1986. So Rob, I am so excited about this. This is something brand new for us, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm just as excited. (laughs) Yeah, so we are doing a crossover episode with our good friend Will, uh, people who have... Um, been paying close attention, uh, recognize the name. Uh, he was uh, a guest when we talked about the Buzzcocks catalog, so we're excited to get a chance to reconnect with him. Uh, this episode, uh, the title is very unwieldy title, which is The Bridge Between Punk Slash New Wave and alternative slash modern rock, 1987 to 1988. So we're <laughs> going to talk about bands that kind of like start up in that period. Uh, why 87 and 88? We'll get to that in a second. But to just whet everybody's appetite, I mean, really, when we talk about this period, the conversation has to start with the Pixies. Rob, you picked a song off of their first LP. Let's kick things off with your uh, Pixies pick. Uh, what did you pick? Uh, one of my favorite songs, actually. I picked a song called Cactus. Cactus is a Cactus is a song that's off Surfer Rosa, their first uh, their first album, and it it always has been a favorite tune of mine. Uh, mm-hmm. It's I don't know, there's just something about it. It's I want to say it's a bit kinky because it's about a guy who like wants his he's in prison and he wants his wife to wear some clothing and send him to him so he could smell her. But <laughs> but, but I I think it's a great tune. It's it's a good song. Yeah. So um, we are joined by Will, who we will introduce in a second. So he, of course, uh, is the host of a podcast of his own called This Is Modern Rock. So our show, Rob, we go from 1976 to 1986. Right. His show picks up the end of 1988. So there's a little gap. And that's what this episode is about. We are going to talk about um, those two years, what was going on with uh, the type of music that we love, um, the bands. It, you know, it turns out that those two years are pretty pivotal as far as the shift from the old guard to the new guard. Um, and I think we're really sort of lucky the way that it kind of falls into place. So, um, 
Will, welcome back. Hi, thank you. Glad to be here. We decided, I mean, right off the bat, we decided that uh, any conversation about sort of like the uh, the switch over from original punk to like modern rock uh, kind of has to start with the Pixies, right? Mm-hmm. And I think all three of us are huge fans. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yes. Let's talk about the Pixies for a little bit. Um, the Pixies, here's just a quick little 101 about the Pixies. The The core um, group is Black Francis, um, Joey Santiago, David Lovering, and Kim Deal. Um, they were together originally from 1987 to 1992. Um, at which point they they had released four LPs and one EP. They broke up in 1992. They reunited in 2003. They released albums in um, 2014, 2016, 2019. And I just discovered this afternoon they have a new album that's just about to come out. Uh, this, uh, September of this year. Yeah. And the top Spotify songs um, are Where Is My Mind, Here Comes Your Man, Hey, Debaser, and All I Think About You Now. Is anyone familiar with that last song? No, that, I'm surprised. Not at all. <laughs> yeah. It must be one of their newer songs. So three of those songs are off of Doolittle. Uh, mm-hmm. which is which is widely uh, regarded um, probably as their best album. I like them all. I mean, of the their original output. Well, that's I, I find that interesting. So I just want to say that since we got the playlist together, I think I've listened to Cactus like ten times. <laughs> it should be g- getting up there towards number one by now. <laughs> <laughs> And Cac- Cactus is off of their first uh, full LP, um, Surfer Rosa. Surfer Rosa, yeah. Has, has anybody really been paying attention to the Pix- Pixies since they reformed? Uh, I, ha- I have, yes. There's definitely songs that I like quite a bit, but nothing that's hit me so hard that I thought, wow, this holds up right there along with my favorite yeah. songs from their their first run. I love all of their original albums. Um, I don't think there's a dog in the bunch. Um, how, how are the two of you feeling? I mean, I, they, they had an amazing run. I thought, do, do any of either of you like prefer a certain phase of, of their output to another one? I do. Um, I, I absolutely love Come On Pilgrim, Surfer Rosa, and Doolittle. Um, I really like Bossa Nova, and I'm just kind of so-so on Tremblemond. I think I'm bigger on their earliest stuff, uh, first first three albums or so. Yeah, I, I think I think a lot of people are like that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just I really like it all. I think it's yeah. I think it's great. So. 
Uh, we will, um, as we continue through, um, we will from time to time stop and talk a little bit more pixies because I, I think that they're they're just they cast the largest shadow over uh, as far as like that bridge between the old school punk and the the newer stuff. Um, yeah, obviously. Story. So much of this stuff that's going to come down in um, through like the early to mid 90s. So many of those bands directly influenced by the Pixies. I, I guess the most famous is Nirvana, of course. Mm -hmm. Let's talk. Um, are we ready to start just diving into our bands? What was the what was the first band that you picked, Will? Um, who do you, you want to talk about? Well, I'd like to talk about a band called the Pastels, or um, perhaps the Pastels, as I heard them called in some interviews I listened to. It just depends on uh, where you live. The Pastels are a, a band from Glasgow, Scotland, and they were formed in 1981. And they kind of started off slow because they didn't really put out their first LP until 1987, but they did scatter a few singles along the way. And uh, one of the, the big reasons I wanted to talk about this band is because they're often associated with what's termed the C86 scene. Are you guys familiar with C86 at all? No, not at all. I, I am, but I wouldn't have been able to define it. It's, it's got a, a certain sound. I really think of uh, like what I've always thought of as like slop rock, <laughs> uh, like lo-fi, like the 90s stuff, like pavement is, was sort of the ones who, who brought that, um, you know, into the spotlight. But I, I never thought about the, the pastels and the relationship to that kind of music. Um, now, I don't, I don't think that the, that pavement was, has any direct connection to, um, what is it? C86. I've always just sort of assumed that, that bands like pavement have, have been directly influenced by bands like, uh, the pastels. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I've frequently read Pavement's name in association with the Pastels, although I've never actually read that, you know, anyone in the band said they were influenced by the Pastels. So, yeah, I think I think you're along the right lines there. Um, I, I wanted to say I've never heard the term slop rock before, but uh, <laughs> the, the terms I often read associated with C86 are shambling. It's like it's not a term we use in the U.S. very often, but it, uh, I think the association is pretty much the same as slop rock. If if it's a shambling band, then they don't necessarily know how to play their instruments very well. Um, and twee is a is a term thrown around quite a bit with C eighty six. But hmm. um, the scene basically the what it is is NME. They released a like a mail order cassette called the mm -hmm. C eighty six cassette, and it was basically a showcase of a bunch of up-and-coming bands. Uh, this was 1986, hence the number. And um, the Pastels were featured on that, along with a lot of other similar-ish type bands. And um, this cassette proved so influential that it, it spawned uh, all kinds of copycats and uh, you know influence bands all the way to modern, current day. So that's, that's basically what the C86 thing is all about. Um, I think 
had the pastels themselves, they didn't really want to be associated with this. They didn't like being lumped in with twee or shambling groups, and, and they didn't really think that they fit that well. Um, but that being said, if you listen to their early singles, uh, some of it sounds pretty rough. Like, <laughs> it, it is kind of <laughs> slop rock. Well, in the they have a... Um... You know, there's a uh, a very distinct sort of like um, intentional atonal delivery of the vocals mm-hmm. uh, that is it's not it's not really like out of tune so much as just sort of like kind of expressionless, mm-hmm. which. Um, sometimes works for me and sometimes doesn't but with the pastels it does sure and and i am looking at the uh, the playlist for the c86 compilation and you know what i had this at one point <laughs> i'm i'm realizing that that's why it's ringing a bell wow so you know there there are like um the primitives started out uh, that's the first time i came stump uh, are, are either of you familiar with Stump? No. No, I don't, I don't no. know Stump. There was, man, there was, I mean, the Soup Dragons, Early Primal Screen, the Mighty Lemon Drops. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I also wanted to bring up the pastels because I think that they also helped to produce some early albums by some of these other bands. I know they produced some early stuff for the Vaselines, and I think they might have helped produce some early Primal Scream as well. Oh, so, yeah. But um, yeah, why don't we why don't we listen to a song? We're gonna we're gonna hear something off of their first LP, which um, I think I forgot to write down the name of. It is uh, catching up with the pastels, and I actually had this at one point. Oh okay, yeah. So catching up with the pastels from 1987, and we're gonna hear a song called Crawl Babies. She comes walking down the Well, as I mentioned, I was so excited when I I saw that this was your choice because it didn't even occur to me, and it's, and you you p- picked your band before you picked your songs. So while I was waiting to see what your songs were, um, I just kept going. Please pick truck train tractor. Please tr- pick truck train <laughs> tractor because that was it was like the first song that I had ever heard from them, um, which was, I believe, was off of um, Catching Up With The Pastels uh, mm-hmm. on some sort of a compilation and um, super duper catchy. Uh, and so, but you didn't pick it, so. Well, you know, I almost did. I <laughs> <laughs> I was so close and I, I was debating between uh, Truck Train Tractor and Crawl Babies. And I, I felt like, Crawl Babies was a little bit more representative of their sound mm, during yeah, that era. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's that's why I went with that one. If, yeah, yeah. if I may, um, so going back to the idea of the C86 sound, 
Um, Crawl Babies fits into that sound exactly how now? I know, I know. Is it, I mean, somebody mentioned, I think that they didn't play their instruments too well, but they sound, I mean, suitable. <laughs> yeah, I think, well, gosh, how, how would you describe the sound? Cause some of them, some of them can't play their instruments very well, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is, um, they, they have sort of like a loose, um, feel to it uh-huh. right yeah. and he's Very not casual. He, yeah and he's not like singing notes so much as just sort of like muttering singing talking mm-hmm. sort of a okay. sort of a thing that i think sounds pretty normal to us now yeah but back then <laughs> that was that was still you know pretty fresh and new yeah um and yeah, I, I keep going, I keep going back to pavement because pavement seemed to, I'm not like a huge pavement fan, but I've, I've owned a couple of their albums and they're the ones who seem to, to like get the, the, uh, the balance exactly right for kind of more of a mainstream audience. Well, the pastels somehow totally escaped me, uh, back then. And this is the first time I've listened to them. So, uh, I dig them, man. Thanks for, thanks for bringing them to the table. Yeah. yeah. R- remind me again, Will, they are s- from Scotland. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think they ever had much of a presence here in the U S no, I don't think so either. Um, which is, you know, unfortunate. I, I actually watched an interview from, the early nineties where someone was asking them about that, uh, how like all of their peers from Scotland that they came up with and helped promote and helped, uh, produce, they managed to become more successful. And, um, yeah, Stephen Pastel basically said, well, that wasn't really necessarily what we were trying to do. And we had other things on our mind and we weren't touring when we should have been touring. I think, uh-huh. uh, and this actually fits in really perfectly, I think, with the whole C86 movement and the idea of, like, twee music. Um, at some point, he took a little break from music to get his master's degree uh, in librarianship. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is pretty twee. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I'd say that that is twee as can be. Uh, we're going to hear one more song from the Pastels. This one is from their second album, which was called Sittin' Pretty. Um, and uh, there's a, a new member of the band um, who I think just came in as a guest here, but then she ended up being added as a permanent member. So, um, yeah, the Pastels are Stephen McRobbie, a.k.a. Stephen Pastel, Brian Taylor, Martin Hayward, and Bernice Simpson. And uh, on this song we're about to hear, which is called Nothing To Be Done, uh, there's a new singer coming in to help out, her name's Annabelle Wright. Take my hand and take my heart, I shiver when you're near, deliver me from everything that drives me home, my dear. Someone may get 
I wanted to say one thing when I listen to the pastels, um, I'm often brought, or what do I want to say? Um, they often make me think of beat happening as like an American counterpart in a lot of ways. I don't know if you guys are familiar. Hmm. Hmm. Um, explain. Well, um, especially with the early stuff, it's, uh, it seems like they put, less concern into being proficient with their instruments that like you said the singing is sometimes a little off key yeah and and they have uh you know frequently there's kind of some guy and girl vocals uh trading off and um maybe even lyrical content wise i, I feel like some of it there's some overlap there i love this song and you know I I don't know. I think this is the first time that I've heard a duet by um, the Pastels. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't necessarily like listening to him sing. I wouldn't necessarily go, ooh, I got to hear him in a duet. But it's really working. <laughs> in fact, yeah. I, man, they are, they, they like, they, they write really poppy songs. They just don't execute them in a traditionally like slick poppy way right although i think by the by this point um they are sounding like a tighter band mm -hmm. for sure mm -hmm. yeah um i don't know if you guys went back and listened to some of their really early stuff from like you know 80 84 82 or whatever but uh it's, it's pretty rough <laughs> yeah yeah by the time by the time we get here um i, I feel like they sound pretty tight yeah so Rob, you you said that you were not familiar with the pastels. Uh, yeah, before. yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. I, I hadn't heard them at all until uh, until recently. And one thing I actually really like about them, and I and I listen to, you know, uh, quite a bit of their music, is that they 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 kind of go through phases. And and I kind of liked listening to the different phases of the band. You know, yeah, um, yeah. their evolution. Um, and I, I'm with you. I really like this, this album that, that we just listened to, or this song we just listened to. I like the entire album. Yeah. Um, but yeah, pretty good stuff. Wow. So they really put out eight LPs. That's uh, crazy. I, I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. And they're still, still a band. Uh huh. As far mm -hmm. as I know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Any last thoughts about the pastels before we move on? Um, I just throw this out there. Uh, maybe this doesn't mean much because Kurt Cobain apparently had many, many favorite bands, but, <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, uh, I have heard that the pastels were one of his favorite bands. Uh -huh. uh, yeah. He was, he was a pretty, pretty carnivorous guy when it came to, um, different styles of music. Um, wasn't he? Yep. Yeah. So. Before we move on to the first band that I want to talk about tonight, um, I thought we could just like, like to break things up, we could just have a quick conversation about some pivotal bands that kind of help help um, 
that bridge between the punk new wave movement and the modern rock alternative rock movement. Um, so let's start with some of the sort of the godfathers. This is a totally arbitrary name that I came up with. Uh, these are these are artists that started out in the punk new wave movement and just really successfully transitioned into the 90s um, and kind of like help move the 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 different the progression of where the the music was going in different ways um, so I, I think first let's talk about U2, REM, Morrissey and the replacements those were like the the four that popped into my brain as far as like the ones that really most successfully transitioned from the one era to the other. Um, I, I think we're all familiar. Everyone's familiar with these bands, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. 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 I was going to say my, my collection of albums by those four bands is probably bigger than many people's entire CD collections or whatever. <laughs> yeah. You two, I mean, Joshua Tree, that was 86, 80, 86, 87. Is that right? I was going to say 87. Right. Yeah. Okay. I was still in high school, so um, mm -hmm. it was 86, 87. Um, they, at that point, they became uh, like a phenomenon, right? Mm -hmm. And they very, very successfully transitioned into the 90s. I feel like with most bands, when they when they release an album that just that like like becomes um, a phenomenon, it like breaks out of the stratosphere and like launches them into superstardom. Um, after that album, they they tend to not really be on the vanguard anymore and i think that that's i feel comfortable saying that that's true with you too but what they were brilliant at was kind of chasing the trends i don't know that they really started many trends after joshua tree but they were brilliant at just sort of like like doing what david bowie did yeah. in the yeah. in the 70s and 80s where they just sort of like were right on top of the new the new thing the new trend and just kind of transitioned into that and absorbed it and commercially did you know very very well at that well they, um, they continued doing it almost until not not recent history but yeah. i mean there were yeah. they put their music on our phones you know <laughs> So they know the trends and they, they yeah. jumped with it, man. That's but staying um, relevant. But I think REM was are you know, REM didn't hit um like they they didn't have that moment until uh um losing my religion. What is the name of the album that's on? Um Out Out of Time. Out of Time, right? So and that was that was early nineties. Mm -hmm. And um <clears throat> And so, but I remember when they released Document, which, which I think was an, and that, that was 87, 88. Um, and that was a 
huge album as far as the impact that it had on bands coming coming up. Um, don't do, do, do you guys experience uh, document in real time? I did not. Not no. me. No. No. Okay. Well, it was. Um, but but you're familiar with it, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that was like, you know, in eighty eighty five eighty six, new wave post punk. It was all feeling pretty stale, and then Document came out, and it was sort of like a revelation about, oh, this is this is where, you know, the the cool music is is heading you know that and the pixies were starting to release stuff about that time mm -hmm. um and and uh, so i i think that when you have a conversation about that transition um the rem is sort of pivotal in that yeah well and you know what's funny about that is i've heard people say pretty much the same thing you just said except if they're a little older than you, then they say that about Chronic Town or Murmur. And if they're a little, <laughs> if they're a little younger than you, they say it about, you know, Green or Automatic for the People or something. I, I feel like Arium was doing that over and over and over again, up through maybe Monster. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't remember Arium ever, like, charting until um, this one goes out to the one I love, mm -hmm. which was on Document. Um, so I, I think that they were, they were a very buzzy band before that. Um, but I think document was where they, they started having some like real commercial success, mm -hmm, right. which, you know, kind of makes all the difference in the world. <laughs> yeah. I guess we also have to talk about Morrissey, you know, he very successfully transitioned from, um, the Smiths to his career, his solo career, and was kind of in the van. I, I mean, how many how many times does Morrissey show up, uh, pop up on your show? You know, on the modern rock charts. Uh, many times, yeah. And in <laughs> fact, I had, I just had to uh, cut one of his songs. He he got to number two, I think, with "We Hate It When Our Friends Become Successful," and I I was like. I, I want to put it on the show, but we've heard Morrissey so much lately. <laughs> I'm going to give something else a shot. So, Yeah. And Will, you added to this list the replacements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think they fit in great with this group. You know, they did come from a, a punk origin, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um, they matured and went on to become extremely influential and important uh with like the college rock scene um although they never they never had the commercial success that these other three bands had so yeah yeah i i had uh the the last couple of albums that they released. I, I think the last one that they released was really kind of just a solo album that they mm -hmm. called uh, The Replacements. But the one before that, I'm trying to remember the name of it, um, but it was... Uh, was that Don't Tell a Soul? Yes. Yeah. That that actually was... Uh, had some commercial success. Um, yeah. I, re I remember that. Um, 
very not punk at all like very kind of lush sweet moody um uh album uh with some great songwriting yeah there were some good songs on that but uh, i think also a lot of old school replacement fans were very disappointed by the time they got to that album well yeah because it wasn't really punk at all it was a you know a yeah. guy mat- maturing into something else. Yeah, um, yeah. I got. I got to say, I I'm kind of sad to say this, but I didn't know much about the replacements until after Paul Westerberg was doing solo stuff, and then mm. I went back and listened to them and uh, quite enjoy them. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I I was kind of embarrassed that I missed the entire you know <laughs> the entire run of of the replacements. Well, we are on our show. We are going to we are going to get to talk about the replacements a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, for sure. Well, as you know, we're um, uh, in 1979 right now, um, and the replacements don't release their first album. Uh, it might be 1980. Um, it might be might be 1981, um, but. You know, once once they start, they're pretty prolific. So mm-hmm. so we're going to be able be able to talk about the replacements a lot, right? So that's yeah. that's something to look forward to. The, yeah, I I got to talk about a couple songs on the tail end of their career, and I'm in 1992 right now. So I, I get to talk about um, Paul Westerberg is on the singles soundtrack with a yeah. couple songs. Yeah, all over it. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and that was yeah, and that was a pretty big deal. So. Um, gonna be excited to talk about that pretty soon. Okay, let's move on to the Sugar Cubes. The Sugar Cubes is uh, the first band that I chose to talk about. They are the new the the new version of the B-52s. Um, got the same same cool dynamics. So much fun. Energy level is super high. Uh, the Really, sort of the the way that the female vocals are managed and the male vocals are managed seem very um, parallel to to how the B fifty twos typically manage their vocals. Um, you know, it sounds very different. You would never confuse the two bands, but um, really, sort of like the B fifty twos for the nineties. Um, I have always loved. The Sugar Cubes, of course, the um, the most famous member of the Sugar Cubes is Bjork, who went on mm-hmm. to become um, sort of a an alternative rock darling of the '90s. I mean, she kind of she was her own subgenre of music just by herself. She was she was kind of amazing, um, and. Uh, <laughs> I guess I have to say the names of the rest of the band. Um, Sugar Cubes, of course, were from Iceland. Mm-hmm. And um, I am not going to even try and say their last names. I'm going to f- just butcher their first names, but I'm going to give it a go. So we've got Bjork, Por, Braki, Inair, Sigtrigur. And Marguerite, 
That was or perfect. something very close to that. <laughs> you nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> so they were uh, they were together for a pretty short time, 1986 to 1992, and I guess they got to back together in 2006 for a moment. Uh, I don't think they released anything new at that point, but they probably just toured for a little bit. That was news to me. Only put out three studio albums. Um, the top Spotify songs for Sugar Cubes are Birthday by far, and that was the first Sugar Cube song I ever heard. Uh, once again, came across it on a compilation of some sort. Um, Hit is the second most popular. Deuce, Cold Sweat, and Leash Called Love. Um, three of those songs off of their first album, two of the songs after the third album. Second album doesn't really get any love. Um, so what is, what are, what are your tote to, what, what's your relationship with the Sugar Cubes? Um, for me, it's, it's very vague. I mean, I've, I've heard them here or there. I've got a friend who I'm still very good friends with. Um, that we were pretty tight in high school and he was a big sugar cubes fan. So I pretty much mostly listened to it through, uh, through osmosis. I mean, I heard it just being around him. Um, mm -hmm. I, I find it fun and interesting that you say that they are the B-52s replacements. Cause for some reason I just wouldn't have thought of that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know, you know, I never thought of that either, but when you said it, it suddenly made sense. And, it does um, make it, sense, yeah. I, I feel like it makes me like them more, <laughs> thinking of them <laughs> that way, yeah. Because, well, I, before I listened to them, I I had just heard about them, and people talked about how cool they were. And right. when I first heard a song of theirs, I thought, this is not what I was expecting, and this is not my idea of what is cool. Um, and I'm, I'm mostly speaking about the, the male kind of talk singing vocals mm -hmm. they mm -hmm. go through them uh it just sounded so goofy to me yeah yep. and i i assumed that it was maybe something lost in translation or something like that but uh if i think about it more in terms of like an icelandic fred schneider uh it's more enjoyable yeah. <laughs> so so once again neither of you were consuming the sugar cubes in real time then no i have their first no, album but but oh, okay uh, didn't get it till later. Yeah, I wasn't even really aware of the Sugar Cubes. Um, I mean, I, I listened to them back in the day uh, with my friend, but not, uh, you know, not, not in greater volume. I didn't really hear much of their music till after Bjork was Bjork. At the time, uh, you know, when their first album came out, it really, it, it felt so new and exciting. Um, so the... The first song that I want to feature off of um, that that first album um, is a song called um, Sick for Toys.
Will, I know that the sugar cubes make uh, a number of appearances on the modern rock charts, right? Right. So, um, uh, but birthday, I don't think birthday ever did, even though that is by far the most kind of famous and popular song. Did did birthday make it to the modern rock charts? Um, yeah. So there there are four charting songs were Motor Crash, Regina, uh-huh. Hit Hit, and Walkabout. Uh huh. And were those all off of their 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 last two albums? Or there was nothing off their first album then? Uh, Motor Motor Crash was released in '88. So, oh, okay. Where, where right. does that put it? I'm not sure. Okay. All right. Well, <clears throat> that's that's interesting because it is uh, birthday is the first song that I ever heard, and um, it is by far the most streamed on Spotify. <laughs> so um, the second song uh, that I chose to feature tonight is off of their third album as i mentioned not a big fan of their second album where they're they're really kind of focusing more on the groove thing and to illustrate that um the song that i picked is called chihuahua which is basically an instrumental i mean there there are voices you hear voices all over the place but they're just they're treating their voices almost like in a rhythmic instrument um and just kind of, uh, I, I think, uh, encapsulates the the joy of this album. Um, it's not in the the zaniness of the vocals and the male vocals playing off the female vocals or the super duper high energy. Um, uh, it's much more like just a, a funky little groove, which which I really like a lot. got some other notable bands and godfathers that we should talk about um a a few that i'm that that i really like uh peter murphy is a name that's popped up recently nick cave sonic youth Mm -hmm. Uh, personally i'm a huge fan of nick cave and and i like sonic youth haven't heard a whole lot of peter murphy well now wait a minute rob Are you not? Are you not? Are you not putting together Peter Murphy with Bauhaus? No, I am. I am. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm, oh you're, you're. I'm making joking. a joke. Oh. I am. Okay. <laughs> I was, you were really throwing no. me for a loop there. Rob. Yeah, no, I'm messing with you. No, Bauhaus is, as you know, Bauhaus is one of my very favorite bands. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, I'm a big fan of all three of these bands, members, all three of these mm. people I just mentioned. 
Mm-hmm. And Will, um, Peter Murphy shows up on the modern rock charts a lot, right? Yeah, quite a few times. And in fact, I just talked about him this last episode. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, so I like um, Bauhaus, but I have never heard a Peter Murphy song that hasn't, like, put me half to sleep. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, I just, I don't get it. Are, Rob, are you a big pretty, uh, Peter Murphy fan? Um, I like Peter Murphy stuff. I'm more of a Bauhaus fan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I do think the energy is different. I like Peter Murphy. Um, I... I can see why someone might think his songs aren't super exciting, but um, I I just mostly like his voice. So he could sing mm-hmm. pretty much anything, and I would enjoy listening to it. Yeah, he's got a great voice. Yeah, my my ish, and it's been probably years since I've heard a Peter Murphy song, but but I just don't remember there being a lot of dynamics in the music and in his like vocal performance. So it just kind of sounds really drony to me. Hmm. Um and but that was that was kind of that was kind of a whole subgenre um in the early nineties uh that I just didn't connect with at all. Uh so but Nick Cave actually um the good son which was I'm guessing it was released 91, 92, sometime around there. Are we talking Um, about the Macaulay Culkin movie? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The the soundtrack to, to the the movie. No, um, I wish that would have been an infinitely more interesting movie. Uh, Yeah. The movie would have been so much better. (laughs) Um, that was the album that made me love Nick Cave. Um, uh, that is one of my all-time favorite albums. And um, it's kind of... Now, Rob, you are a, you are a bigger Nick Cave Giant. fan than I yeah. am. Um, Absolutely. But that is the album where he really kind of becomes more of a troubadour um, and is singing a lot more than like growling and yelping and, you know, howling and doing all of his other stuff. Um, there's like pretty ballads on it. Um, and I'm wondering, do you not connect to that part of Nick Cave or do you like that part as well? No, no I like that part as well. Actually, there's nothing... I don't think there's anything that cave has ever done that I haven't enjoyed. Um, he's even got like stuff that he's done with, uh, you know, with Warren Ellis. It's just kind of instrumental stuff. And I, I, I'll fall over for all of it pretty much. Yeah. He's a genius. So just a real quick recap on Nick cave. Um, we're uh, on our show. We're in 1979 and we just talked about, the Boys Next Door, uh, which was the band that Nick Cave started out in that changed their name to um, The Birthday Party. Birthday Party, yeah. Um, and so we are we we have heard the very first thing that Nick Cave did. We're going to hear a lot of Birthday Party. Nick Cave releases quite a few albums of solo stuff before... 
1987 right so this guy is like has churned out by 1987 1988 has churned out a lot of um material and man he just all the way through the 90s i mean he is releasing an album like every couple of years now has he will has he showed up um on the modern rock charts yet for for you where you're you're at 92 um yeah he has not and i th- this is one of those strange things where uh, I don't think he ever charts on the modern rock charts. Yeah, I don't I don't know about that. I don't think so. You're kidding me. Uh. No, it's uh yeah, and that, the same I think is true of Tom Waits, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, artists right. who are considered, you know, alternative generally speaking, but um for whatever reason, yeah, they they never chart. Wow, that blows my mind. Well, um keep me posted <laughs> if if it comes up. Um because I, I just, I, that sounds wrong to me, but what do I know? <laughs> so what about Sonic Youth? I mean, Sonic Youth is a bit of a blind spot for me. We, we of course, will be talking about them um, later on uh, into the 80s. But, like, of all of the punk bands that start out in the early 80s, they're the ones that seem to kind of like most naturally transition into the early nineties grunge scene. Right. Well, yeah, I think so. Them and, and dinosaur junior, uh, although Sonic youth predates oh, dinosaur right. junior. I forgot about dinosaur junior. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they do. They, they, you know, they start out as what was considered a no wave band. I think they're just making a lot of noise mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, they they did. They transitioned very well into uh, the grunge movement, uh, and you know, picked up all of those those new grunge fans along the way. Yeah, yeah. So, Rob, you picked two bands to uh-huh. feature tonight. What is the yeah. first one? Uh, the first one is is one of my favorite bands that I honestly don't get to listen to a whole lot, and it makes me sad. But uh, the first band is L7. It's an all-female band. They were formed in 1988, or excuse me, 1985 in Los Angeles, California. Um, their largest roster, their longest-standing roster, consisted of uh, Susie Gardner, Danita Sparks, Jennifer Finch, and uh, D Placus and uh there's a lot of wonderful um there's a lot of like wonderful uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh shenanigans that mm. <laughs> that comes out of this band and um to me that's they, they they just they have this like punk rock vibe and they never really let it go but um, the band lasted from 1985 to 2001, and they got back together for a little while. Or excuse me, they got back together in 2014, and I believe might still be playing. But uh, they've released seven studio albums over the time. Um, their first album was produced by uh, Brett Gerwitz on Epitaph Records in 1988, and. Trouser Press gave the album kind of a meh reception, saying that it was all 
brute force and speed and and just kind of equated it to to noise but it just so happens to be that that's what it is i loved about that album so i, mm-hmm. I certainly don't complain about that um yeah well well it was a real surprise to me that they started so early i mean i sort of um associate them with the um grunge slash um riot girl movement uh-huh right and i just sort of thought that they were one of those bands that kind of just popped up in the early 90s i was not aware that they were they were together as early as um 85 85 yeah yeah well and they they were definitely a big part of the grunge movement uh even down to you know signing on to uh um you know the oh gosh the name of the sub pop yeah Yeah. the the big grunge big grunge label um uh, and and their fans definitely crossed over in fact this is one of those points where the band members kind of kind of rubbed elbows with other grunge band members, you know? Um, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I, I think it, back in the eighties, I never would have considered, well, not that I never would have, but I didn't originally consider them grunge. You know, I, to me, they always felt punk until mm-hmm. grunge was a really big thing. And I'm like, wow, now they've got a place where they're a little more accepted. So, mm-hmm. but I'm a, I'm a huge fan and I love the band. Um, I think my first, my, I think the first song though that I really fell over with uh, was a song called Shit List. Um, and I got really excited about the song because I think it was in a soundtrack, maybe for the uh, Natural Born Killers. Um, and I, I had already been listening to them before then, but I'm like, wow, now everybody knows about L7, you know? <laughs> so the song that I pick comes off of their first album. And uh, it's it's a tune called uh, Snake Handling. listening to this song remember that this is a band whose lead singer uh, got mad at a rowdy crowd and threw her used tampon into the crowd i don't know if you remember hearing this but um you know she was so pissed off she just threw it out there and was like you know screw you guys uh but it's also the same band whose lead singer dropped her pants and underwear during a live performance on the uk tv show the word that of that of course was uh, Danita Sparks. And I, I I don't think I knew about that until recently. And I went and found the YouTube video and watched that that performance. And it cracks me up every time because they, they just kept rolling. I mean, it was live. Mm, so mm-hmm, they just kept mm-hmm. going. But this is a rowdy, this is a rowdy band. <laughs> yeah. So, so this song, uh, 19, 1987. Mm-hmm. L7 was the name of the yeah, album. Yeah. 
sounded pretty grunge to me. <laughs> yeah, it does. It, it really, no, it really does. It really does. Yeah. Um, but like I said, I was listening to him, you know, I, I don't, where I lived, I lived in this little cow town in the Central Valley. And uh, I, I almost feel like we were a whole other country. We didn't get music as quickly as everybody else. So. <laughs> but I don't know. Um, so their third album is an album called Bricks Are Heavy, and that came out in 92. Um, this, it was on... this is probably their most famous. Yeah album yeah, i mean sure. this is this is uh an album that i am familiar with yeah it was uh, on slash records produced by l7 and butch vig who butch uh he produced other bands like smashing pumpkins and nirvana um and they had three singles pretend we're dead uh everglade um and monster this is also the album that that uh probably the first the first actual uh, L7 album that I owned. It wasn't, mm -hmm. you know, it's not something I ripped off. I actually bought this album. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this, this is the, the album that had the song shit list, like I mentioned was on, on a, a soundtrack. Mm -hmm. um, but, and I think didn't, Will, you mentioned covering some, uh, some L7 recently. Was it, did you, did you cover pretend we're dead? Yeah, it's it just last episode. <laughs> we're talking about a lot of bands I literally just talked about. Um, yeah, we just talked about Pretend We're Dead. Nice, nice. Well, I, I decided to go with a song called Monster, written by Susie Gardner. Come on over. When I hear this song, there is really just one artist that pops to mind. <laughs> okay. Alice Cooper. This sounds yeah. like an Alice Cooper song. <laughs> I mean, funny. they they must. I mean, well, who who knows what's you know was in the brain of a a different person? But I my guess is that they they went let's write an Alice Cooper song because that's really what it feels like, <laughs> and I think they do a pretty good job. Okay. Well. Yeah, I'd like to hear what Alice Cooper has to say about that, but maybe he'd like it. I actually, he probably would like this song. No, no. So let's uh, let's circle back to the Pixies. We're gonna just kind of like uh, sprinkle in some Pixie songs along the way. Uh, so, Will, let's talk about your your choice for a Pixie song. Sure. So I chose a song off of Doolittle. And I, I intended to choose something that was maybe a little less well-known. I had no idea that Hey was one of their top five songs on Spotify. I was kind of surprised by that. But uh, yeah, we're going to listen to the song Hey.
Well, the, the Pixies, they, they must show up a lot on the modern rock charts, or was that just kind of like the tail end? Of, well, no. Yeah. No, it wasn't, was it? They show up a fair amount, but not as much as I would have expected. Uh-huh. So, yeah, like, right, we miss out on some of their early singles, so nothing from Surfer Rosa charted. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but some of their singles that I would have expected to chart, like Alec Eiffel, for instance, mm-hmm. or UMass, mm-hmm. I don't think those charted at all. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of strange. They, they are such a beloved band and they seem like the epitome of college rock in so many ways. It, mm. it, it's, it's surprising that they weren't just ruling the charts with every single they put out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey is a great song, by the way. Yeah. It is a very good choice. And, and, and I, I am familiar with that tune. Um, but man, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I, well, part of the reason I picked Hey is because I feel like it contains so many elements that just scream classic pixie sounds yeah. to me. Yeah, you know, it on. leads with that Kim Deal bass line. Uh, you've got like the the Frank Black or Black Francis vocals with kind of like the semi-mysterious Kim Deal background singing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. And you've got those like Joey Santiago, like, I don't know how to describe it, that guitar shriek yes. <laughs> sound. Yeah, yeah right. Right. It's just like a high point of any Pixie song for me is when when he's he's doing that Joey Santiago guitar thing. Um, mm-hmm. Love it, love it so much. Yeah, I was gonna say for me, uh, I'm I'm a little bit younger than you guys, and uh, I also grew up in a uh, an isolated town where music took a while to filter down. So I discovered Pixies and uh, Pavement right about the same time after Pixies had already broken up and uh, mm-hmm. my sister had gone away to college and brought me back some uh, mix tapes that she made of these two bands. And it, both of them just blew my mind. I became huge fans of both bands. Yeah. So Rob, we are about um, at the halfway marker. We've each talked about one of our two bands and looking at a recording time, there is no way that we'll fit this into one episode. <laughs> So I think this just became a two-parter. Yeah, absolutely. It, I got to say, it's a lot of fun talking to Will. Um, I mean, you and I enjoy talking music to each other. Yeah. And having yeah. a third guy in there talking is just, boy, I, I'm surprised that we only lasted. I mean, you know, that we went only as long as we did because we probably could have gone on and on. So, yeah. But yeah. Well, this this feels like uh, like the logical place to end part one. So I think maybe we should just do that now. Um, so that means we'll be pushing the regular scheduled episodes um, uh, for next month back a week. Okay. So part two of this episode will be released the first Sunday. And then the June-July 1979 will be released the second Sunday of the month. And then the deep dive, the very special deep dive that we have scheduled, uh, will be released the fourth Sunday of the month. Sounds good. So, um, so any last thoughts before we sign off for p- part one of the crossover episode? 
only only that this episode was a lot of fun and uh you know part one and part two um but i'm really looking forward to our regular next regular episode yeah yeah well we were just talking about peter murphy and i was a little dismissive of his solo stuff but (laughs) it has been many many years since i've heard any of it so um and you know on our regular show, we will be able to talk about Bauhaus yeah. a lot, but oh, yeah. not his solo stuff so much. So I was thinking maybe we should go out on the number one Peter Murphy Spotify song, uh, Cut Cuts You Up. What do you think? I think it's a great idea. Sweet. Okay, everybody. We will talk to you in a week with a... Um, with the conclusion of this cliffhanger (laughs) crossover episode. Uh, So have a pleasant week. We will talk to you soon. See ya. Find you in the morning After dreams of distance I